Welcome to Southside Conversations, a monthly podcast brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence. We've heard time and time again that dairy farmers learn the most from other dairy farmers. So in this podcast, we are going to share real-time farmer insights, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across Pennsylvania. I'm Jane Seabright, Director at the Center. Here's this month's episode. Welcome to this special episode of Calside Conversations, capstoning our second season. One of the things that we've known for a long time at the center is that farmers learn the most from other farmers, whether it's by visiting their farm, hearing them share during a panel at the dairy summit, or just talking to them one-on-one at a meeting. Most farmers will talk about the value in taking something they learn from another farmer and putting it into practice on their own farm. So when we started CalSide Conversations in November 2020, we wanted to build on that basic principle of farmers learning from other farmers. We have purposely only included actual farmers as guests on this podcast because we wanted to stay true to that mission in sharing farmer insight with other farmers. To give you a little backroom view on what we do each month, I basically ask someone if I can call them and interview them over the phone about their business. That conversation is recorded, and then Emily Bars, our communications and marketing manager at the center, serves as the producer of the podcast and takes that recording and edits it into a podcast. There aren't a lot of bells and whistles to what we do in this process, but we're very pleased with the success that the series has had. Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about that success? Yeah, I gathered a few statistics that I thought would be interesting and who knows if anybody else but us will find these interesting, but I think it's pretty cool to see how many people have been listening or just the reach that it's had. So to date, the podcast series has had over 7,100 downloads and almost every farmer that you've interviewed, Jane, has had about 300 downloads on their episodes. So that's really cool. And a lot of the episodes over time get more and more in terms of the episodes that have the top listens from season one, actually Brett Reinsford's interview when he opened up about his farm safety accident is actually the most popular episode to date. But um, Greta and Virginia's podcast about calf care this season is a close second and it's actually moved to the number two spot. So that one was the most popular from this season. Uh, I think everyone likes their insight. But yeah, those are, it actually there's, you can see in the statistics, 74% listen from their phone or mobile device, which I think makes sense, kind of what you just said. I think a lot of our listeners are liking that they can just listen to it on the go, whether they're on the tractor or in the barn. Um, so I think it's been a convenient way. And, there, and only 30% are listening directly from our website. The rest seem to be listening through a podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So yeah. That, those are some things that I found interesting. Don't you think that's a pretty cool reach? Yeah, I think we never imagined uh, when you think about one podcast episode reaching 300 people, that's more producers than we have, if you're looking just at our producer audience, than we have attend the Dairy Summit each year. So I think that's pretty cool. In this season, we talked mm-hmm. to 12 farmers from across Pennsylvania on many different topics. A few included farm transition employee management, cow and calf care, cropping and feeding strategies, and diversifying the family business. We also had a couple recordings focused on personal wellness. Let's talk about some of our favorite parts and takeaways from those. 
So on farm transitions, Emily, uh, John Klein up, opened up the season with episode one. He's from Lebanon County, and he talked about how he, what he thinks drives success in transition planning. He has uh, boys that are, he's bringing into his dairy operation, and he talked a lot about the willingness to let the next generation make decisions and take new responsibilities at an early age. I remember him talking about letting his boys make cattle purchase decisions, even as little kids. And even though he knew those decisions weren't great for his herd, he thought they were well worth the purchase because of the investment he was making in his kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I liked that part too. I actually, when I was editing that podcast, that was one of my, I think that viewpoint of letting them make decisions at an early age probably is what set them up for success with the whole succession planning process. But then I think he said something about also letting, being able to let go. So John said something about how he heard something at a meeting one time where the person stood up and they were probably six years old and said, well, dad still has the checkbook. And he was like, I never want that to be the case in our family. And it motivated him to keep passing things off to his boys, even as he got older. So I thought I liked that. Yeah, I agree. Another thing that several of our farmers had said was talking about having a third party involved. Donnie Barch from Perry County, we interviewed in episode four, and he talked about how that third party really helped the generations communicate better and ask the tough questions. We all know how challenging it can be to communicate with families, especially in multiple generations. And he said how that third-party person really helped them take away some of that tension that farm families have because instead of bickering, just bickering back and forth, they actually had someone controlling that conversation and keeping it moving forward. Yeah, Donnie's podcast was definitely, I really, really loved his because he had so many great insights like that. I think what I like also liked about his was how open-minded he seemed to be about transition planning and where that next generation is coming from. He said something like, um, be open-minded. You never know where the next generation is coming from. Don't think it has to be just your kids. It could be a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law, or it could even be an employee who comes on and has a passion for it. So I just think that open-mindedness is probably what makes Bonnie so successful too. Yeah, I agree. Knowing Bonnie, I think he's very um, open-minded in his approach to the business in general. Another thing I really liked is what Jared Kurtz from Berks County said about giving grace in episode 10. He um, he talked a lot about how his father, Tim, never held, into, held on to anything too tightly. They made a lot of decisions alongside of each other, and Tim gave him liberty early on to make his own decisions. He also spoke about how when one made a mistake or one piece of the transition process was especially hard for one or the other, they did try to give each other a lot of grace and forgiveness along the way. And I think that was something that really resonated with me is the value of giving grace and letting go of things that happened in the past. Yeah, I do think that's a great way to sum up Jared's podcast he really stressed that and seems like it made a difference in their transition planning process and I liked how he he kind of described his full circle moment of the results of all the years they spent working on this succession plan he said that 
days where he actually st stands back and realizes that there actually are four generations working on the farm together at one time. Um, and he, he's just saying you can't put a, a price tag on that, the privilege of being able to do that. I think that just captured the, heart, the results of putting in the time that they did over the years to create their plan. And another topic that we really had talked about a lot this season was just the employee management and the value of taking care of your employees. In episode two, Alan Bear and Peter Posnett from Huntington County spoke about how their employees were their number one assets, and they shared how important it was to teach the why behind what needs done on the farm so employees see the bigger picture. They, on their farm, they developed a lot of training videos that details each step of procedures on the different tasks on the farm, something as simple as milking they have videos for, and those videos have really helped make sure that the employees are all doing things consistently day in and day out. Mm -hmm. The amount of different ideas and protocols they shared on what they're doing was kind of amazing everything they're doing with their employees i agree i thought just them sharing that bigger purpose like beyond even just the videos but they said they work to teach their employees the bigger purpose reminding them you know we're producing milk which is food for people to eat and the things they do even over the holidays for employees and just reminding them of that take-home message i thought was really cool yeah and Another one that really talked a lot about his employees is Tom Barley, who we interviewed just last month. He's from Lancaster County, and in episode 10, he shared how important it was to let is to let your employees know you care. He compared how managing employees is kind of like being a coach. When you help them get better, it helps your dairy get better. He also spoke about developing a culture of excellence and how making sure those little details don't slide over time. He also talked a lot about having the right people in the right seats and talked about how, you know, no, just because someone's a good cow manager or a good crop manager doesn't mean they're a good employee manager and just making sure that the right people are in the right positions and are able to excel is really important. Yeah, I've ever done the same part. That was my favorite in terms of making sure people are in the right seats. I agree. I think that that was probably one of the most significant things that he said, but I also, back to the coaching thing, I wrote down this quote that I thought, he just said, there aren't many farms anymore that can do everything themselves. If you want to be successful, you have to rely on your employees and you can accomplish so much more by coaching them and helping them get better. And I thought that was a good reminder that it's just, it's better to view it like that and not try to do everything yourself. Yeah, I thought that was really good because farmers, it's really hard to delegate, it's really hard for anybody and management to delegate mm -hmm. and let go. But um, he talked about, you know, being willing to let them um, learn things and make mistakes and learn on their own and develop their self-esteem, and that's really important. In Greta Hallahan in Bedford County, she uh, spoke a lot about having a unique approach to um, how she manages her team. She works with an activity monitor and actually managing remotely part of the time from three hours away. Uh, some of the things she said were really neat is just some of the apps that she's using. She talked about an app called Slackbot that she uses to communicate protocols and to-do lists with her employees. And she talked about how those protocols are only as good as the people are. So she really credited 
her team to doing an excellent job at following those protocols and being willing to work with her on orthodox way of managing things through the technology she's using. I agree. I I love any time I get to hear Greta talk because I think it's really such a unique story about how she manages a herd and a team from an hour and a half away and has managed to find a way to do it. And I, I agree. I think the apps and the technology she uses and just hearing how it's enhanced their communication. And I think it's built a lot of transparency with their team in terms of everyone knows what's going on, who's doing each task. I think that probably has helped them a lot. That was a really good episode to hear her go into detail about those things. She goes into a lot of detail. What, what do you say? Yeah, I think she did. A she lot did of good help. detail. She did a really good job. She also brought her calf manager on. In fact, a lot of people spoke up a lot about both cow and calf care in their episodes. Tom spoke about grouping strategies and managing the trans group, transition group to separate the far off and the close up cows, which I know a lot of farms do, but he emphasized how important making sure those cows have enough lay down room is and staying on top of the details in terms of nutrition during that phase. He also shared how their dairy is focused more now on pounds of components and is really working towards seven pounds a day. And he talks about how the activity monitoring system that they're using really helps them adjust the rations during each phase of the lactation to help accomplish that goal. Yeah, Tom had a lot of great detail on his as well. Like you said, I, I marked down his thoughts on the bunk space and the transition group because I thought it was interesting how he says he realizes it goes against what some of the experts say, but he's found what works for them. And I think you can really see the attention to detail he gives. And I know we've hosted, you know, events and animal care works up on their farm before, and you, it's definitely evident. So I think your interview with him was really a good way to highlight some of what they're doing. Yeah, um, Greta did a great job talking about the calf care side. Uh, one thing that was really interesting that they're, they're doing is she talked a lot about colostrum management and how they feed electrolytes to calves daily to get them eating grain at a younger age. She also talked about how they're really careful about using only the highest quality colostrum with their calves and having it ready and easy to solve so it can be given in a timely manner. She talked about how they don't trust just, you know, they don't make each employee have to do all that prep work that the calf manager is actually freezing the colostrum in ready to use bags that it's really quick and easy mm -hmm. for another employee to administer when that calf is born. I thought that was really an interesting and approach, and the electrolytes was really interesting, too. I think even just listening to her interview, I mean, you can tell how ambitious Greta is, and she has so many goals that I think that seem almost impossible, but I think that her being so driven like that is what makes them successful. She, like, for instance, she said her goals for mortality rate is zero percent, and she knows that's really kind of lofty and hard to achieve, but she, that is her whole mindset is preventing things and catching them early on. So I think you can just sense that when you listen to her, how driven she is. Yeah. Another episode where they talked a lot about um, cow care was in episode nine. We interviewed uh, Clint Burkholder from Franklin County, and he brought up how important heat abatement is to the herd. He talked about how they're using conventional sprinklers, fans, and natural ventilation with all the herd to mitigate heat stress. But he also talked about how they're in the process 
of installing what is called smart soakers in their pretty fresh and dry cow area. And he talked about how these sprinklers sense when the cows are under them so they're not wasting water and only running when they're needed. And I thought that was kind of a unique innovation that probably not everybody is using yet. Yeah, I hadn't actually heard of that myself, but I agree. I think that was a seems like a simple way to just um, improve efficiency a little bit more and utilize some of that technology. We also had a lot well, we had a couple of discussions on cropping and feeding strategies. We interviewed Ben Peckman and Clint Burkholder, who both talked a lot about what they're doing, and they happen to both be from Franklin County, coincidentally. Yeah, that's in Franklin County. I don't, I don't know. I think it's just the fact that we chose two people from Franklin County. <laughs> but Ben, um, Ben is doing some really innovative things with his planning and cropping strategies. And in episode six, he talks about how he's using a highly diverse cover crop and a green planning approach to his cropping. He said that it helped boost soil fertility and made the best use of his acres. I thought this was really interesting because um, I haven't heard of any other farmers using this many different species, but he said his cover crop mix included 12 to 13 different species of plants and included legumes such as clover and peas, stuff like radishes and turnips, and even varieties that attract insects to boost, boost soil health. He also talked about how adding the legumes helped grow his nitrogen levels in his soil, which was a huge saving in a year like this year. Yeah, I wrote that down too, because I don't think you could ignore that that takeaway that he shared about how it helped grow his own nitrogen and the cost he found from that. And I actually went out to take a few photos of Ben for an article recapping his podcast, and he actually showed me some of the radishes, and it was really cool just to see it in person. And I think he did mention that you have to be flexible and go and follow the crops and what time of year it is and it's a moving target. So I think it sounds like those 12, all of those different species, he even changes up from year to year based on what's working. So that's really interesting too. Yeah, he talked about actually mixing them in a cement mixer on his own to get that variety in. I thought that was really unique. Uh, Clint talked about how the how important that harvest timing, packing, and covering is to the quality of his forages. He also talked about how he chooses varieties that increase digestibility and starch in the herd. He still actually grows alfalfa as halides, which I know a lot of farmers moved away from. And you said that really helps boost protein levels in his ration, which again, helps a lot in a year like this year when purchased protein is so expensive. He actually prefers the alfalfa over small grain forages because you don't have to compromise those protein levels in your forage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was really knowledgeable in everything he was doing on the crop side too. And I thought it was kind of funny the one thing he said about how he says a lot of farmers, including himself, sometimes just want to have the highest, the tallest corn stalk. And I could see how that would probably be <laughs> the most rewarding, but he said they've actually found the ratio of grain to stalk wasn't as good for milk production and starch benefits. So just hearing his insight on what he found has worked for him, even with something as simple just as the height of corn stalks, I thought was interesting too. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about that, but that was really good. He talked about how they're actually growing, using varieties now that maybe don't grow as tall, but he finds it's better for his, his herd in general. We did have a couple of um, guests that we interviewed about how they're diversifying their business. Our first was Candace White of Clinton County 
in episode five, she talked about how diversifying is a way for their farm to accomplish both the farm's goals and the goals of those involved. They have multiple partners from multiple generations involved, and she shared how they are working with a facilitator, and that facilitator is really challenging each team member to set work and personal goals. And through that exercise, they actually realized how important diversity becomes to growing their business. So right now, their diversification includes custom TMR sales and beef sales. And Candace has really taken a hold of the beef enterprises. She really used that as a solution. She really started it as a solution to a feed problem with the beef herd eating the waybacks from the dairy cows. But through the process, she found out how to market to our local community, and she really has become passionate about educating our customers on what she has to offer. Yeah, her her story was really, really great to hear, but I liked how she admitted about just the education that she had to learn before she could even start selling beef to consumers. She said she really had to educate herself to be able to educate other people, which I thought was a really good quote, too, about, you know, she's talking to consumers in the community a lot more by selling beef directly to them. So making sure she was knowledgeable, I think that was a cool little takeaway. Yeah, she she did talk a lot about how she had to really learn what the right way to market the beef was. And she did get questions from her customers that she wanted to make sure she could answer. So she really did a lot. And related to education, in episode eight, Maria Forey from Lancaster County talked a lot about how they educate the community, but what was really interesting was they were milking 500 cows a couple years ago and intentionally decided to downsize their herd and increase diversification as a response to the market. Their farm has been a supplier to the Oregon dairy market owned by her father and uncles for many years, but the milk they didn't market through the store was sold through a cooperative, and they were at a point where keeping milking at the current her size where they were needed investment in the facilities. And they were really concerned about making that investment and being able to pay it down with the market volatility. So they decided to downsize their herd to have more control over the milk price, selling it, selling most of their milk only to the store. But to do that, they had to add other enterprises. So they added agritourism, custom cropping, and they added a seed dealership to their enterprise portfolio. She talked a lot about how the connection in the grocery store gives them the opportunity to connect with their consumers. And that was actually really interesting. She talked about how they have, they host annually a family farm days where they bring Mm -hmm. in 10,000 people to their farm. But she really cautioned people that you don't start out that big. Her advice to those interested in diversifying agritourism was to start out small and make sure you have liability piece covered. She also emphasized how important quality, the quality of the experience was and how that was actually more important than the quantity of the people you had attend. Yeah, because I think it would be easy to hear Maria's podcast interview and want to host a 10,000-person event, but I think she definitely gave a good, honest perspective on how to start out and get to that level. And I really liked what she said. It's back to the whole idea of communicating with consumers is that she views success is being able to really not even just about the number of people but dispelling misconceptions and educating people who can then tell their friend who will tell their friend and just that ripple effect 
she said anytime we can give one nugget of truth to dispel the misconceptions that are out there about agriculture and dairy farming that's what makes it all worth it to her so even just maybe you can change one person's mindset by coming to the event and they can then you know tell their friend that to me I thought that was a really good part of her interview yeah I thought that was really good too we did have a couple of uh, producers talk a lot about overall wellness and what they do just to you know take good care of themselves and their families Jared Kurtz actually talked a lot about how um, he's making sure his family stays the number one priority. He shared how somebody in the transition process told him that it's not your farm that's your family's legacy. It's your family itself. And he he said how that really made, it really opened his eyes and made him rethink how he looked at the farm and the energy he's putting into that compared to the energy he's actually putting into his family and he he said you know he made a really good statement that he said if there isn't a family who wants to come back to the farm then you don't have anything to be working towards and if you never invest in your kids and work alongside of them then they're not going to want to come back and I thought that was really a powerful statement yeah, I agree. You stole mine, but that was my favorite part too. But I think it's just because of how, just how good of a, because like you said, it was just really so there will be no legacy at the end of the day if you don't have people with you. And it just, I think was a good outlook on work, farm, life balance and all of that and how he tries to manage all of the pieces. Yeah. And then in episode 11, we interviewed Frank Grayville from Dawson County. He actually recently retired as a dairy farmer and shared some of the learnings were that he had along the way. He talked specifically about farm safety. He offered three tips to those listening. The first was to stop and think. He said that you can never be too observant around animals or around equipment. And he mentioned how farmers are working long hours and that can lead to exhaustion, but you have to be continually cautious. He also shared about how he really focuses on visibility. He has grandchildren around the farm and he says how he always makes sure he has eye contact with them just to make sure they know where he is and he knows where they are. And then the third tip he had related to farm safety was to um, talk to others and learn from their experiences. He talked about how another farmer shared his story about almost losing his hand in a hydraulic leak. And um, he just said it really made him think and be more aware, especially when he's like fixing a hydraulic leak on his own farm. Yeah, his insights on farm safety were great. I think he clearly had a long career where he learned all of that. And I think, um, I didn't mention this in the statistics, but Frank's also is pretty up there with number of downloads and I think people just liked listening to his because you even though he might have been talking about something like farm safety you could just feel and hear his optimism that he has and I just liked how optimistically he viewed his sense of optimism because he just said that as a farmer you always think next year is going to be better you plant the corn and hope you're going to get a great yield and it's just something that he said he never he hopes he never loses he likes having that optimism to carry him through life. So I thought that was a nice little, he had so many kind of inspirational pieces like that where you could feel his optimism. I liked that a lot. 
Yeah, and if you if you know Frank, you know that he's a very optimistic person. He's always so positive anytime you have a conversation with him. So it was really great to capture that in a podcast. For uh, mm-hmm. Mental Health Month, we interviewed uh, Michelle Kirk from Adams County, who's actually a former beef producer. She's the only one in our whole series that is not a dairy producer. But she had a really intimate story about losing her husband and then losing the farm shortly after. She did talk a lot about farm transition, but what I thought was the most powerful was how she shared how she did go into a deep state of depression after everything she went through, and it really took the encouragement of her son and others to help her come back from that. And then she talks about how important that support system was to anyone struggling with mental health. And then she said, sometimes you don't have to have all the answers. Just being there to show up and listen means the most to the person who's struggling. I also think it's really impressive that she, you know, was brave enough to be willing to share that with so many people. And I liked how she said about the her friends and family showing up that they didn't even really ask if she needed help. She They just showed up. And sometimes all you need is someone to sit next to you and so you're not by yourself. And I thought that probably just was really true um and her whole story is worth listening to just because of how how honest she was about everything yeah i remember one of the things she said is how she had a a friend or maybe a neighbor who just showed up and started cleaning her house for her because knew that she was really struggling and that was the way they could help and i thought that was really a great idea just to be and to help where you could so that is actually a great recap of our latest season of this Calside Conversations. Thanks to all those who've listened this past season, and especially to our 12 guests who are willing who are willing to share their story with us. We really appreciate that. Um, and thanks, too, to you, Emily, for doing the great job. I always tell, um, tell those who I'm interviewing, you don't have to worry about whatever you say because anything you want to change we have a great producer who can change that so thanks for doing that (laughs) it is actually pretty fun yeah so and then for anyone if you missed any of the episodes that we just talked about you can go back and listen to them as well as all the as all those from season one on spotify apple music or amazon i personally like talking to each of our guests and hearing their story. I said at one point this season, and I'll say it again, anytime someone is willing to share their story with you, it is a gift. So I hope you all enjoyed each gift of each episode as much as I did this year. And stay tuned for season three. We are excited to bring more stories of farmers across the state and maybe even outside the state to you. Our first interview will be with Jennifer Orr from Fayette County, will be our November episode. Jennifer and I are talking later this week, and I'm excited to hear her story of how she's grown her value-added business and is reaching out to the local community. So stay tuned, and if you do have suggestions for guests to include in this series, please share them with us. You can email me directly at jcbright at centerfordairyexcellence.org or call us at 717-346-346. 0849. As always, thanks for listening.